On this episode of The Media Zone, the Mandalorian and Grogu movie announced. Why? Paramount Global is for sale. Everything you need to know. And the first annual Zoners. Let's go. Welcome to the Media Zone. Welcome, Zoners. Thank you for joining us here for the inaugural episode of the Media Zone. You are now in the zone. There are so many things that we could do with this name, with the zone. Welcome to the zone, Auto Zone. Uh, nope, actually, actually, yeah, we've encountered sure our one. first legal issue. We have yeah. quickly. I have quickly backed us, not even a minute into our first episode, I've backed us into potential copyright infringement. Very fun. My name is Kyle. I'm joined this and presumably every week by Nick. Nick, how are you? Hey, Kyle, it's Nick. Yeah, I'm doing fantastic. Fantastic today. Great to be here on the inaugural episode of uh, the Zonecast, uh, the auto zone, if you will. No, that one's not allowed. Not yet, at least. We'll see if I can license that ultimately. But, like, look, at, at the end of the day, we're all zoners, right? That's what we're doing. We're, we're all just here in the zone. If you've happened upon this here podcast, one of these several, uh, there's only a handful, actually, uh, media podcasts like movie, television, all that stuff. Not many podcasts in that field. And, and we're here to fill that void. We are here every week, each and every week, to break down the latest news and stuff that matters to us regarding media whether that be film television books video games you know the definition of the word media i would assume we're going to be breaking down topics that matter to us right like there's going to be weeks where (laughs) we do not talk about what is probably the biggest news in the world of film television whatever just because we don't care about it just because it doesn't interest us at all and there will also be weeks where There's a piece of news that you probably haven't heard of, and we talk for an hour and a half about it, just because it is our flavor of stupidity, and that's what we want to talk about. And then each week we will do an extensive breakdown of a specific topic, maybe. Depends on the week, right? We're really going to take this podcast as it comes to us, see where it goes. And this week, that main topic is the first annual Media Zoners, or just the Zoners. Nick and I are going to be giving our Zoners out. Uh, if you will, Nick. Yeah, we're, excited we're, to give you- we're we're yeah, we're very we're very excited uh, as as esteemed members of the American Art and Film Academy. Um, right. We really have a lot of experience in this realm. We know the ins and outs of. Uh, well, this award show is about film and and movies. So, and we're we're experts in this field. So, really looking forward to see how you know the the studios react to our ratings and rankings and our our zoners. Um, because we're going to have a tremendous impact on the industry, I think, once they once they hear about this. So re- really excited, really, really excited. Yeah, and I don't know about you, Nick. This is actually the first time I'm giving a zoner out. This is the first time I'm giving out my zoner to somebody. Um, and I'm giving out several of my zoners today. Let's, let's not get into that. Let's instead transition here to segment one on episode number one. And that is Media News. Grogu 
are coming to the big screen potentially as early as 2025 star wars i love how i can talk about star wars as though it's like a news outlet because it's kind of just like this behemoth in and of itself it's just like star wars put out its own news yesterday lucasfilm i guess technically announced it but it was on the star wars website kathleen kennedy the president the head of lucasfilm is producing a The Mandalorian and Grogu movie directed by John Favreau, who also right. directed The Jungle Book and uh, everyone's favorite movie ever, The Lion King, and also Chef. Uh, and Dave Filoni is also producing this movie alongside Kathleen Kennedy. J- uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni, of course, are the two guys who kind of ushered in Star Wars into this new era where it currently is, and that is the streaming era, because we haven't had a movie since 2019. This movie is in addition to the Mandoverse movie that's going to be directed by Dave Filoni, which is, I don't even know what it's going to be, just the culmination of everything, Ahsoka, Skeleton Crew, presumably, God knows when that's coming out, Mandalorian. This movie is going to enter production this year, they say. Presumably before the Rey Jedi Order movie, which was announced at Star Wars Celebration last year. This presumably could come out as early as next year, if not 2026. And it will probably be our first Star Wars movie theatrically released since The Rise of Skywalker. So Nick, what are your thoughts here on a The Mandalorian and Grogu movie directed by Jon Favreau? Yeah, I think I think when we, when we talked about this earlier last year i think it was march when your article came out just talking about the staleness of the series you know we were looking we were comparing numbers year to year which i don't know exactly but i think most television programs you know early streaming television programs you know year to year you're gonna have a decline in viewership the initial hype and excitement for a new show particularly of a media giant as star wars is going to be really exciting in the beginning and then probably trail off a bit uh you know, it's, it's very predictable. I think Game of Thrones is one of those shows where it was sort of an anomaly, you know, where the first season was kind of, you know, very niche and not not super hyped. And then by the by season eight, I think it was, you know, the the numbers were just off the charts. So. And, the, you know, that's a diamond in the rough type type of show. That being said, absolutely. The Mandalorian is a very popular piece of media i mean i looked yesterday at the statistics from televisionstats.com so i don't know how the uh, most reliable tr- source. trustworthy but you know it did say that it was number seven on disney plus right now and this is right now this right is now? january yeah. 2024 yeah Impressive. and you know it's uh and 116 most popular today you know amongst all the streaming services mind you again this is a third party that's reporting on you know, this isn't officially sanctioned by by Lucasfilm or anything like that, but I think it gives us a good point of reference that there is demand for something like this. People are excited about this, even though some of us probably more critical and maybe more skeptical and cynical and sick of this same flavor of I think you called it uh, RPG storyline uh, side oh, side it is. quest it's RPG sto- yeah it's side quest you know I, I think I think Monster we're a little. We're a little skeptical uh, just just because that's our nature, but 
you know, again, I, I don't mean to be a dead horse, but there's obviously this, there's obviously a demand for this. It's obviously a very popular show. And I, it's safe to say I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm excited to see what they do with it. I, I, I think it's a good, I think this might be a good way for them to kind of maybe whip up something good. I'm not, I'm not going in with too many expectations, but, and John Favreau's, John Favreau's, you know, he's, 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 he's good at making these heartwarming. He has talent. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Chef is one of my favorite, you know, movies to put on if I'm sad. So. So, um, you know, maybe the Mandalorian will be my Star Wars version because I can't really say that there's a Star Wars version of that. Uh, but but I think I think that speaks to like what kind of movie I'm expecting, right? Like I'm not, I'm not right, expecting uh, feature film blockbuster. You know, I'm expecting comfort movie, which again is what a lot of these Star Wars rehashes have have turned into, except for andor which we've talked about too in the past but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with it again expectations aren't high see i don't know if you're going to get like this comfort movie especially if this is the first movie that's lucasfilm first star wars movie rather because they put out <laughs> indiana jones this year uh, much to disney's not dismay but uh yeah, that's kind of what happens when you spend 300 million dollars on a single movie's production budget before marketing you're kind of setting yourself up yeah. for failure though but Again, when you kind of position this The Mandalorian and Grogu movie as Star Wars' grand reintroduction back into theaters after what may end up being a near-decade-long hiatus, it makes sense that The Mandalorian is kind of the property that you reintroduce it with, given that The Mandalorian has been what has been carrying Star Wars live-action for the last however many years. For a long time, The Mandalorian is what people kind of pointed to as one of the sole good things that Disney Star Wars was producing. I like most of it, to be fair. But I could see them trying to lean more into this being something grand and, and something epic, because it's been so long my issue is that again i would need favreau to have more control than dave filoni for me to be more interested in this movie just because i don't think filoni is the most talented live action filmmaker i think he's a really talented storyteller you you didn't watch star wars rebels i watched star wars rebels late years after it stopped airing just to kind of prepare myself for Ahsoka, which is a problem in and of itself that I needed to watch four seasons of an animated television show to understand the new Star Wars tentpole live action show. That's kind of a a strange business decision to make. But I watched Rebels. I really liked Rebels. I like a lot of the characters that he was able to establish over the four seasons in that show. I have been underwhelmed by his Mandalorian episodes, and I was underwhelmed by Ahsoka from a filmmaking perspective. There are a lot of things just stylistically and structurally and things like that inside Ahsoka where it was just like I watched it. I liked it initially, and then I gave it a little bit of critical thought. It could have been something really special, but Ahsoka, to me, is a good show that comes off as a first draft. It it wasn't an experienced live-action filmmaking hands. So if it really is Favreau who's going to be kind of helming this and approaching this from a character-driven perspective, if we are going to get a character-driven Star Wars movie that follows the Mandalorian and Grogu, these characters that we have grown to love over two seasons uh the third season right. was yeah. something else i'm cautiously optimistic like that's kind of what you were saying just there are things that make me skeptical but fundamentally favreau's a relatively talented filmmaker i like rogu and i think pedro, uh, pedro pascal is a great actor so if 
the pieces come together, this could be a fun return to the big screen for Star Wars. But just at this point, I'm not as excited as I would have been had I not watched season three of The Mandalorian. I think that's kind of the takeaway here. Yeah, I think I think my final thought will be, you know, are they is this going to be a continuation of the story, you know, post season three? I, I, the the press release didn't really give too much information. I haven't taken a deep dive into any any rumors or anything like that. But but where where are we picking up? I think I think expectations will change once we, once we get more information. But right now, I think overall, like you said, Star Wars fatigue is hitting. You know, and uh, m- more specifically, Filoni Favreau Star Wars fatigue is hitting. Hopefully, it's exciting and and something that we can we can enjoy and and, and the kids can enjoy too. But but we'll see. It's odd that they announced three movies that were in development at Star Wars Celebration last year. You had the Ray Jedi Order movie, the Filoni-helmed culmination of the Mandoverse movie, and then you had the James Mangold Dawn of the Jedi movie, which to me Mm -hmm. sounds the most interesting just because we don't know what it is, right? Like the Ray movie, you know it's going to have Ray, probably Finn, and then you look at this culmination of the Mandoverse movie, again, it's everything's coming to a head maybe the original three are going to be back in it and then you're going to have probably mando grogu the skeleton crew sabine ahsoka hera ezra it's going to be a fun movie right like i i can't get too excited for it just because i don't trust dave filoni as a filmmaker but then with james mangold's dawn of the jedi i like a lot of james mangold movies and i would like to see how he attacks this kind of new material and this new era of Star Wars, how he ushers this in. And he's described it as like this biblical epic, which a very fresh perspective through which to approach Star Wars. It's odd that they didn't announce this alongside those. And then here, January 9th, 2024, a couple of months later, you're like, yes, this is actually the first one we're putting into production. And this will likely be the first one that hits theaters. It's like, what came together in the last couple of months? Or what's happening with the other movies to the point that this is the one that you are now prioritizing? I I know Pedro Pascal, he's one of the hottest actors working in Hollywood right now. Is it like a, he doesn't have time in his schedule to do a full season of The Mandalorian? Which also wouldn't make sense because he's not the one in the costume. Like, he's not the one who is putting on the Mandalorian armor. He just comes in and does voiceover and the occasional headshot. So he's not needed that often on the set of The Mandalorian. So, like, I I do wonder what happened to make them change this full potential season into just one film. And I do wonder, again, is it going to have this wide cast of characters? Or are we just focusing on The Mandalorian and Grogu, which the unveiled title would suggest? And also, they need to change that title because that is not a good Star Wars movie title. The Mandalorian and Grogu? Well, who, like, who is the audience? It doesn't say. Like, there's so little. I imagine that the audience for the Mandalorian and Grogu movie is going to be fans of the Mandalorian, (laughs) the TV series. But what if they pull a fast one and say, oh, yeah, just going to be a kid-friendly adventure animation movie. Or live action movie. (laughs) I'm just, uh, you know, I, my, my point is, like, there's so little information about this right now. It's hard to say with any you know it's hard for me to even speculate about what to expect from this because i guess i just i don't know and i can hope but you know they've (laughs) they've failed in the past so see book of boba fett like you said there's little definitive information right now so we're gonna just have to wait and see what comes out here in the coming weeks coming months as it enters production who's cast is this just kind of a recycling of things we've seen 
on The Mandalorian? Is Katie Sackhoff going to be in this movie? Are Jack Black and Lizzo going to be in this movie? These they are must the questions be. We need them. That, yeah, I think that's them. what we should focus on, actually. I think we should go yeah. back to that planet and really focus on Jack Black and Lizzo. Mm-hmm. That was, unironically, my favorite episode of The Mandalorian. That's season. Um, and, I, and I know it's season three. But, I mean, come on. You get, throwing jack black and lizzo in there just like just out of nowhere like are they trolling us is that what they're doing was that what they were doing they're just trolling at this point i think what they should do is usually because it is episodic right because it's like 30 minute episodes every week that they disguise as 60 minute episodes or 50 minute episodes with 20 minutes of credits usually John Favreau and Dave Filoni could only fit one weird Star Wars alien monster into the show each week, each episode uh, that the Mandalorian has to fight in order to get a piece of information or something to take to the next person for whom he has to fight a monster. So my question is, how many RPG side quests are we fitting into this movie? How many monsters of the week are we getting in one movie? I think if we were to, you know, put our statistician hat on, we could extrapolate based on the time allotted in the film. So each Mandalorian episode runs between 30 and 40 minutes, right? We get one right. monster. So I'd say a feature-length film. Maybe maybe we might get lucky with three or four monsters, Kyle. Might I'm hoping. See, but, yeah. like, I don't want to get too greedy here, right? I, I want yeah. quality over quantity. Right. I would like them to focus on one really big, cool monster in which the right. Mandalorian and the Grogu can fight, as opposed to three or four monsters that's all i want and i also really want them to go back to tatooine just because we really haven't spent that much time on tatooine with this you know recent influx of disney star wars content so i think we need to focus on tatooine and i think he needs to fight either one big good monster or three or four smaller shittier monsters right and and if not tatooine they have to go to batu because we have to know about batu I wonder, would it be cheaper to film in that big circular screen, the volume, or to film on location at Disney World? Oh, now that's a question. The Mandalorian's already at Disney World. I saw him. I was walking out of the like the market area like the big hallway and it's not a hallway it's not inside i think it's actually that's what they refer to as black spire outpost they refer to the whole land as black spire outpost but i think this particular stretch of like market area is what they refer to as black spire outpost specifically so i exited that land and then the mandalorian standing right there with grogu i'm like yo this isn't canonical this is not accurate in the timeline. And I punched him in the face. Right. Good. Well, I'm glad you did that. He deserved it 100%. I think that the Mandalorian, sh- I would rather, instead of him fighting three to four smaller monsters, I would rather him go to Batu, and I would rather him go to Doc Ondar's uh, or Oga's Cantina. And then I would love for him to be in there and just like when Rex is kind of like so this is what i want i want the mandalorian to go to oga's cantina and then i want 
Rex to be just there kind of giving his predetermined lines, the audio that was recorded how long ago, and then I want him to go to the bar and I want him to order the cocktail that comes in the specialty mug and then his bartender <laughs> who's wearing a beanie and would rather be doing anything else in the world than working at Ogus Cantina says, we don't sell the mug anymore. I can make you the drink. I can't give you the mug. And then, and then when the Mandalorian, not me, when the Mandalorian is like, oh, that sucks. He's like, yep, come on. What do you want? Uh, even though I'm on the four, even though the Mandalorian is on the 45 minute time limit, um, hold on, Kyle. Kyle, Kyle this sounds bartender. a lot like your trip to Galaxy's Edge. I, I hate to, you know, interrupt no, this is what you, the Mandal- but... this is what the Mandalorian. Uh, this is what, what he has what's to gonna go happen through. to the Mandalorian, right? Yeah. And then he's this... gonna walk out, and then uh, he's gonna <laughs> go on the rise of the resistance, and it's gonna break down, and he's gonna have to do an emergency evacuation. <laughs> right, but at least he gets to see, you know, the AT-ATs and the lights. Right, that would be cool. Yeah, and he gets to see uh, the Kylo Ren cardboard cutout without the projection. Right, and it's malfunctioning. So, (laughs) yes, this would be my favorite Star Wars movie. Right. Well, yeah. Well, then he'd pivot to the droid lab and make a droid for himself just for fun. Right. No, for Grogu. For Grogu. Grogu puts it together with the Force. See, that's a cute scene. That's your trailer scene right there. Uh, That's your icon. So let's transition here to the next story. And that is kind of a conversation about an article that I previously wrote for mediazone.substack.com. That's this podcast. It's also the name of the podcast. That's crazy. And the article, of course, is Paramount Global is for sale. Here's what you need to know. Nick, what do you know about this? Well, Kyle, I'm, I'm hoping to learn more from from you. Um, I kind of want uh, maybe we'll we'll style this in the form of some kind of Q&A conversation. You, you've clearly done a lot of research on this. You also beat The Hollywood Reporter to the punch, which, you know, I haven't read their article because it's behind a paywall. I read uh, theirs was paragraph. better. Theirs was uh, better. Well, I, I think I think I just want to start out. So can you just give us an overview of what what exactly is for sale like who is who is for sale and why why are they for sale just a quick little little tldr uh, to start a conversation right so that's a great question because nobody really knows it kind of depends on what source you read and who that source talked to some people just say it's just paramount global that's for sale which is obviously the uh paramount pictures cbs entertainment group paramount media networks paramount streaming paramount consumer products and experiences and paramount international networks i'm sure we'll get into more of those individually and what it makes up those particular subsections here momentarily. Some sources suggest that only Paramount Global is for sale. Other people kind of imply that it's the whole National Amusements that's for sale. National Amusements is the parent company, or I guess the company that you go high enough up the chain. That is the company that is the majority shareholder or the majority stakeholder in Paramount Global. Paramount Global, the CEO, is a dude named Bob Backish, and then National Amusements, their head person is Sherry Redstone. For how it affects the movie goer or the person who is interested in stuff like this, like if you're not really caring about the backdoor corporation stuff here and you just care about how this affects potentially what's going to end up on your screen, it's Paramount Global that's for sale. And again, that legacy studio that used to be one of the biggest players in Hollywood now is kind of more of a B-plus player, I guess would be a a good way to describe them, right? They have a couple uh, of major tent poles. They had Top Gun a couple years ago, which dominated the box office. They have Mission Impossible. They own Star Trek. But 
this isn't like the powerhouse studio it once was. This isn't a Disney. This isn't a Universal. I don't even think this is even a Warner Brothers. But we're kind of sadly in this era where it seems like Hollywood is consolidating. You have a few people or a few studios popping up here and there trying to keep this alive, I guess, trying to keep the the independent or the smaller film studio idea alive. But then you also have just kind of this consolidation of the major studios and studios trying to acquire other studios. You got Amazon a couple of years ago, as opposed to launching their own thing, just bought MGM. And then you have Disney purchasing Fox. And now you have someone's going to acquire Paramount. We'll see who it is. But to answer your initial question, yes, that's what's for sale. Uh, ultimately, it's Paramount Global. Okay, so we don't exactly know what's for sale, but we do know that something's for sale. And we know it's this thing called Paramount Global that a few years ago wasn't even called Paramount Global. It was called Viacom CBS, but that's neither here nor there. Who's if not me, because, and you, uh, because, you know, even though we could inquire. We um, tried. Not you know, available. We, okay. They didn't well, answer that the was, phone. That was quick. Who are you looking at here? You're, 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 you're saying consolidation. Who's who's consolidating? Who's who's looking to, to, to scoop up these assets? And are these assets... I'll start there. Who, who who's who's coming in? Who's who's looking? Who's who's shopping? So we've got the rumored names, the people who have thrown their name or their hat in the ring, so to speak. We've got Skydance Media. That is kind of the name that I keep hearing, and by I, I mean somebody who reads articles. I have no sources. I'm just a guy who spent a lot of time doing research on this because I was bored. So you have Skydance Media, which is a relatively young production company. It was just founded in 2006 by a dude named David Ellison, uh, whose sister also founded her own production company called Annapurna, which I'm sure you've heard of. Can I just stop you real quick? Yes. Notably, son and daughter of Larry Ellison, who founded Oracle, is one of the richest people in the world. So, <laughs> no one cares about that, man. Nobody, we don't care about nepo babies. Hollywood is a historically not a nepotistic. Uh, understood. Uh, <laughs> just, just wanted to make clear that it's the Ellison you're thinking of if you know anything about the software giants of, you know, whatever. Anyway, they, continue. They came up on their own accord, Nick. They did it themselves. They I'm, did it I'm not way. commenting on that at all. I'm, I'm just. Just putting the pieces a little bit together. So we got David Ellison Skydance, and I think his sister's name is Megan. I could be wrong, but his sister has Annapurna. And they kind of mirror each other, just in terms of they're trying to become these big, multi-legged, multi-faceted production companies that kind of dip their toes into many waters. They each have their own feature film, live action department. They've each recently launched their animation departments. They have video game departments. Both of them are relatively young companies that have grand ambitions, that want to be major players in this studio system, in this Hollywood game, so to speak. Annapurna more so focuses on smaller, independent films, video games, stuff like that. More artistically focused, artistically driven stuff, whereas Skydance likes to focus on the big budget stuff. Like, Skydance has been a producer or a production company attached to that has worked on several of Paramount's major IP movies in the last couple of years, like the last 10 years, uh, maybe five years, that they've produced a lot of the new Star Trek movies. They do the Transformers movies. They do the Mission Impossible movies. So Skydance is a frequent contributor with Paramount. So it makes sense that, again, you look at Paramount, this, comp this legacy company, a lot of IP, a lot of again history but have fallen on hard times and they're looking around and realizing they cannot be 
the major player they once were. They, they cannot put up a legitimate fight given their current standing when you look at the behemoths that are Universal, Disney, what Warner Brothers wants to be again. They just don't have the, the ability to be that. So they want to sell. It would make sense that a suitor would be Skydance Media, a company with grand ambitions that's kind of on the come up and they are a frequent contributor, frequent partner. So their reported interests makes a ton of sense. Then you have Warner Brothers Discovery, which to me kind of really doesn't make sense. That just kind of seems like two companies who are kind of similarly positioned, right? They're kind of at the same standing in the current market. Warner Brothers Discovery, in my opinion, has more value in terms of intellectual property, which in today's streaming-driven market, intellectual property is king. That is what you need to attract people to your respective streaming service. You need the names. You need the brands that people love in order to get them to sign up and watch your content and hopefully stick around for a while. So Warner Brothers has DC. They own Harry Potter. They own Lord of the Rings. I don't think they technically own Lord of the Rings, but I think that was purchased by a group called Embracer Group, which quickly licensed it out to New Line again which works with Warner Brothers so they're going to get their hands back on Lord of the Rings theatrically so Warner Brothers has much more value in terms of intellectual property and a higher market cap stuff like that Warner Brothers is just bigger than Paramount at this current moment neither are NBC or Disney so you just look around at the current standing Paramount can't put up a fight and Warner Brothers you can see where the logic is they look at Paramount a similarly positioned company and they're like okay let's just combine our assets you know let's make a go of it together let's do a merger where we each keep some semblance of control in this new company and we take a bigger swing at the major players with our expanded content library merge our streaming services to combine our subscriber bases it just kind of would leave both in this weird position where sure you combine two mid players do you get a major player then or do you just get a slightly larger mid-level player i don't know I, I don't think that them merging would make them this behemoth that they think it would i just don't know what it does it makes warner brothers discovery slightly bigger it makes max's content library slightly cooler but like it's nothing to write home about like cool they ha they own star trek now okay like what what is that yeah. gonna do like i i don't know if that necessarily makes them a major player so th that's just kind of where my head is at to answer your initial question of who are the interested parties reported it's warner brothers and skydance just to get in, into a little more of the I don't know the assets involved. We could split intellectual property and actual physical assets. I don't know if we know. We know the amount of studios and companies that are below each of the different groups that you talked about. But but what are what are what are the major IP? Honestly, I I did not know what Paramount owned. You you mentioned Star Trek, Mission Impossible. It doesn't sound like there's very much else, is there? So Paramount also, in addition to Star Trek, Mission Impossible, they own Terminator, Transformers, okay. and Yellowstone, which is big in the streaming game. People, Old right. people love Yellowstone. Heard a lot about Yellowstone. Kevin Costner's demographic loves Yellowstone. Right. Um, and, and another thing that they own is Nickelodeon, which does have value. One of the things I tried to do in this article, because well, like I said off top here, IP is a major reason why you do a, a merger like this, especially in this streaming-driven market. You want that intellectual property to bring eyes to your streaming service. So I, I kind of break down how each of these 
major IPs could be of interest to the potential suitors. Mission Impossible generally does well at the box office. Transformers, it, you know, in terms of quality, it kind of wavers. But again, generally speaking, not this year because it was a strange box office year in general, or 2023 rather, was a strange box office year. Terminator, again, legacy franchise. If done right, people are, are going to go out and see Terminator. But I bring up Nickelodeon, and I relate it to Skydance, just because Skydance has really focused on its animation department since launching it a couple of years ago. They've more so focused on original storytelling. Initially, they had a distribution deal with Apple, but they switched to Netflix. They hired John Lasseter to oversee it, which, Nick, I'm not sure if you're familiar with John Lasseter. No, I'm not. So John Lasseter for a long time was like this animation darling you you know pixar you know the name that pixar really generated for itself and the legacy that pixar generated for itself in the late 90s early 2000s now granted there's a lot of filmmakers who made individual movies there but john lasseter was a major voice in Pixar at that time. And, you know, one of the major filmmakers. He directed the Cars franchise. John Lasseter was one of the creative forces at Pixar. And then when Disney acquired Pixar, John Lasseter, I think for a time he oversaw both. But individually, I know that he's overseen Pixar and Walt Disney feature animation. But he was accused of and admitted to sexual misconduct in the workplace after oh, or, yep, okay. yep, during the the me too wave and he resigned again it was very controversial a couple years ago when skydance hired him to oversee their the creative department of their animation which again skydance it's it's a difficult studio to approach because you look at some of the movies that they're producing and some of the creatives that they have behind these movies. Like, I think they're producing a Brad Bird movie. Brad Bird, of course, made The Incredibles. I'm pretty sure he directed Ratatouille, which Ratatouille is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's funny. I say it's one of my favorite movies of all time, and I'm not certain who directed it. I'm about 90% sure that it's Brad Bird. And then, like, you look at some of the other movies they're producing. They have some really creative people attached to a lot of their movies and it's just kind of difficult to get excited about because you know the connections through which their talents were acquired right it's like okay you're only there because john lassiter is you know is the head of the studio and can i can i in good faith support john lassiter can i separate art from the artist enough like even if the ultimate artist is enough rings up the totem pole so to speak like i don't know if i in good faith can do that but again it's just to talk about this purely from a business perspective skydance doesn't have any ip from an animation point of view and like i said they've been really focusing on this original storytelling stuff but if they could acquire nickelodeon in the paramount deal that gives them spongebob teenage mutant ninja turtles and avatar so that is again three huge properties that they could turn into animated films that would print money at the box office probably not teenage mutant ninja turtles because we saw Paramount had a really rough year at the box office. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Transformers, and Mission Impossible underwhelmed. But again, if you if Skydance could really hang their hat as a potential animation studio on SpongeBob with SpongeBob movies, I, I think that's a pretty good bet to take. To wrap up the point there of what would a studio be acquiring IP-wise, yeah, the major things are Star Trek, Mission Impossible, Terminator, Transformers, Yellowstone, and Nickelodeon. Who do you want to win? 
I want Paramount to remain independent. Um, okay. I, I think. Is that, there a path to that happening? Is there no. a rumor that you know that? Okay. No, I don't. I I think the Redstones are out. Yeah, I I just think again. You, I bring up the box office they just had last year. They went at this. It was kind of a, an uphill battle when they started, right? Because it's like we talked about before we recorded, Nick. It seems like Universal, as a company, kind of exists to counterpunch Disney in every kind of asset, right? Like, they, they, sure. they try to go toe-for-toe, toe, they just don't do it as well. Like, I'm not talking about quality of news broadcast, but just they have NBC to answer ABC. They have Universal Pictures to answer Walt Disney Pictures. They have Universal Parks to answer Disney Parks. They have DreamWorks and Illumination to answer Walt Disney Animation and Pixar, right? So just, like, they kind of go toe-to-toe in everything. It seems like Paramount Global existed to go punch for punch with Universal. Like, it, like it seems like they tried to copy that kind of uh, strategy, and they just failed miserably, right? It's like, okay, Paramount Pictures is nowhere close to Disney or Universal. Paramount Animation is nowhere close to either conglomerates animation houses cbs yes it exists like it's a well-watched network but like that's mostly because of sports that's mostly because they play the nfl every week and that really does help with their television ratings again and they're streaming nowhere near as popular as disney plus probably not as popular as peacock i don't have the numbers in front of me it seems like they wanted to be this conglomerate they had ambitions of being like a disney or a, a universal it just wasn't in the position to be that it just didn't have the resources to be that what i think's going to happen i think it's going to be skydance if i had to guess i would say skydance does it 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 makes the most sense there's connections there there's a pre-existing relationship and i think skydance does have the the grand ambitions that this is a, a logical step for them i do wonder though if anything's going to be spun off different and are you, are you saying different entities or different subsidiaries to different companies or right like i wonder if skydance takes it right like skydance takes it over and they're like okay yes now we own cbs i have no in what interest does sure. skydance do media have in cbs right and right. just like who... tony romo on payroll CBS right sports like who right. acquires cbs in this instance or, or just like you know what if it's warner brothers they do a merger with paramount like does warner brothers i'm sure they do have an interest in nickelodeon but like you know what if again we talk about dis or universal wanting to have a counterpunch to disney with everything they don't have an answer to the disney channel what if Universal goes to the table and they're like, yeah, I don't want, you know, I legally cannot buy CBS because they own NBC. I, I really don't have much of an interest in a lot of this IP. I just want Nickelodeon, right? Like, can we see, can it be sold for parts, essentially, is kind of my main question here. Do we see it sold for parts initially or is it just sold in one fell swoop and the acquiring company keeps everything or does the acquiring company take it and then start selling things they don't want? It's just going to be interesting how this transpires here over the year. And I do think that's going to be one of the biggest stories in kind of the the business side of the entertainment world for this year. So I'm sure this is something we're going to be talking about for the next how long here. Well, thanks, Kyle. Yeah, we encourage all of our listeners. Again, if you've made it this far, you're with us now. There's no escape. Please go on over to our Substack, uh, mediazone.substack.com. 
com and check out Kyle's, I guess, summation article on on the the Paramount sale. Obviously, we'll we'll be covering updates as they happen since the Hollywood Reporter has put out an article about the whole ordeal. Um, perhaps that is a a scent trail of what's to come soon. Don't know. I don't really know how timing works um, with these types of acquisitions. Obviously, there's likely going to be a long legal process for whomever was able to to front the money. Oh, yeah, to that's going to take forever. Acquire this company. Um, when that happens, perhaps I'll I'll throw my hat into a bit more of analysis. Uh, that sounds pretty interesting. But for now, we'll just be rooting for more competition in the market. I'd say because that is likely what will help us as the no, no, uh, average consumer. Just to kind of put a bow on that, like earnings reports are coming up here for all companies, right? Like all companies with shareholders. I think next couple of months, I think if Paramount thinks it's doing well, I think if Paramount thinks it's going to have a favorable earnings report and a favorable message for investors, we'll probably see anything definitive held off. Yeah. But Again, it, Febu- it looks like February fourth quarter, twenty twenty three should be February. Right. So. so, like, I think if it if it's looking like it's going to be a favorable report for Paramount, they probably try to hold it off until after February so they can inflate their value and and kind of make a bit more out of the sale. But I could also see if it's not looking like it's going to go well, they try to do this before the earnings report kind of hurts them any more than it already you know i don't know how much their value is kyle i think it's about time we uh we turn into the first annual zoners is it zoner time uh, i think it is i think i think it is welcome to the zoner zone this is the segment (laughs) in which nick and i give our zoners this is what you've tuned in for you've you've tuned in here for the first annual zoners again just to kind of recap from the an hour ago at this point we are going to go through several categories essentially we've tried to evolve the oscars this is a purely film based award show maybe we'll do television at some point but as of right now it's just film like i said we're borrowing a lot of categories from the oscars and evolving them kind of building upon them like instead of best actor best actress best supporting actor best supporting actress we have best supporting performance and best performance we also have best picture best director of course best score but then we have like you know some more fun superlative awards if you will we have best line right best line of dialogue from a movie uh we're, we're from the same movie in this category nick most underappreciated most underwhelming and the waste of imax money award which again we are in agreement from strangely about the same movie yet again so let's take it here from the top i've structured this similarly to how the oscars does where we start with relatively good awards right relatively big and strong awards and then we transition more into the superlatives the filler awards and then we end bang bang best director best picture so nick you ready to get started here with the zoners or anything else to say about the zoners i'm just very excited just absolutely bubbling over with excitement and rightfully for the so. zoners everyone loves the zoners that's what we're here for people pay money this is actually our patreon people paid money to watch the zoners people gathered made their popcorn to watch this first annual zoners we're gonna get started here with best supporting performance that is the best su- performance giving by a su- Supporting actor in a movie this year and it should also be said here off top that nick and i have not seen every movie uh, that came out this year nick has seen movies that i have not seen i have seen movies that nick has not seen both of us have not seen some of the biggest awards contenders this year this is just kind of 
where we are at this current moment as of the time of recording. 2023 movies that we have seen as of this awards season, where are our minds at in terms of these superlatives and these awards again this could change once we see more movies that's mm-hmm. that's kind of what's fun about this right it's a time capsule I, of where we are right mm-hmm. now I, I also think it's important to mention that the medium on which we've seen these films varies significantly a good number of them i've seen in theaters um there are a couple films on this list that i have seen on my laptop mm-hmm. <laughs> there are a couple films on this list that i've seen on television and then there's one film on this list uh, from your list that i watch on my phone on a flight home from Orlando. So, <laughs> you know, obviously the uh, the score, the the performance awards, those are, I feel like those are pretty, you know, I don't, I don't think medium necessarily matters, but as you move on to the more meta awards, general disclaimer right. is that, you know, if, 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 if you think that, you know, we've snubbed one of your favorite films, it could just be the fact that perhaps we didn't see it on the right medium. Let's get started. Kyle, uh, best supporting performance. Where are we at? All right. So I will give my nominees and then I'll transition to you for your nominees. And then we will end with who we're giving our zoner to. I like this. All right. Let's go. All right. So nominated for the Kyle Zoner for best supporting performance. We have Benny Safty for his performance as Edward Teller in Oppenheimer. We have... America Ferreira as Gloria in Barbie. Emily Woo! Blunt. Uh, do I need to make the audience sounds for everybody? Yes, yes please. Unless right. there's someone that you don't like for some reason. Sure, uh, sure. Emily Blunt as Kitty Oppenheimer in Oppenheimer. Boo, I'm just kidding. Woo! Mark Ruffalo as Duncan Wedderburn in Poor Things. And then Woo! this is kind of a wild card. It, but this is like kind Mark of, Ruffalo. Good guy. This is kind of a wild card one, but I, I wanted I, – I'll just say it, she's not winning. But uh, I, I did want to give this performance <laughs> just sort of some some spotlight that that spotlight that you no don't one's need going to, to see. say this part. This part makes it bad. <laughs> Madeline Una Voiles as Alfie in The Creator. Yay, I guess. <laughs> no, <laughs> hey, 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 hey. I didn't All say who's winning. What do you mean? I, I eliminated one she's out of... She's a nominee like everyone else, and you're just like, oh, yeah, just she's so you know, she didn't win. She's not winning. Well, there's still it's still a four-way race then. It's still a 20... Anyone still has right, a 25% when you said, chance. When you said, you know, America Ferrera, you were just like, ah, oh, well, you know, she's not going to win, but she's here. I didn't say that about and, America Ferrera. I said that about Madeline Univoiles. I'm just saying, you know, if you're going to do that, America do Ferrer- everybody on the well, list. That's not the person that you've picked wrong wrong no because that's why we transitioned back that's when i ultimately do name right. i was just saying with madeline univoilez look she didn't give as strong of a performance as emily blunt america ferrera benny Safdie, or mark ruffalo but for a child actor in a in a movie that everyone seems right. to have forgotten i thought she did really well she brought a humanity to that role in which she played an AI. And she had really good chemistry there with John David Washington. I thought it was a really good performance that not a lot of people are talking about. So I wanted to give her some shine. Okay, well, we'll transition into my nominees then uh, from there. We're going to begin with Kayla Lane, who plays Noodle uh, in Wonka. Speaking of child actors. Noodle. um, You should sing the entire uh, Okay, I will. For a moment. Uh, Nope, not now. Uh, we have Hidetaka Yoshioka 
Uh, I may have mispronounced his first name. My apologies. But he played Doc in Godzilla Minus One, um, one of our favorite films of the year. But we'll get into that later. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have Dominic Sessa, who plays Angus in The Holdovers. Davine Joy Randolph, who plays Mary in The Holdovers. Okay. And finally, Matt Damon, who plays Leslie Groves in Oppenheimer. Interesting. Those are my five nominees. Interesting that we both, our ten nominees, three are from Oppenheimer. Neither one of us nominated Robert Downey Jr. The same. Oh, yeah. We also didn't nominate the same We didn't. That is interesting. Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. is a fringe. I would say that he would, if I had these, (laughs) our award show restrictions are pretty airtight right yeah uh so you know if i had a fringe sixth i would say that robert downey jr would be there but i'd also have to consider all the other films that i've seen and also rank that but look i think robert downey jr gets an honorable mention here just because you know he's finally not iron man and he did a good job so you know bravo to to robert there look i thought he was great for about two-thirds of the movie oppenheimer in general like look i still probably my favorite movie of last year i don't know if it's winning best picture for me but it's certainly one of my favorite movies from last year i was kind of a little bit underwhelmed by the ending just because i think it got a little too it didn't fully stick the landing for me and like you had the the jfk name drop where it's just you know they revealed him like a marvel character just like there's this young senator massachusetts like what are, what like what are we doing? Like this is odd. Are you setting up JFK sequel? It was it was odd and yeah, I do just think Robert Downey Jr in general, I think his performance got a little bit too cartoony at the end for my for my tastes. That said, he was still generally quite strong. I just thought there were five better supporting performances last year. So back to our nominees who are actually on this list. Robert Downey Jr gets a whole monologue from both of us even though he did not make either of our lists. Kyle, give me give me a few thoughts on some of your nominees before we uh, we reveal the, the winner of Best Supporting Performance, Kyle Zoner. So, yeah, I, I already said Madeline Yuna Voilez not winning, but, again, just really strong turn there for a very young actress who is put in a challenging position to play what is a robot. Granted, a, the whole point is that it's a, a human-like AI, but just to pull off this role where she is co-leading a movie as like a 10-year-old playing a robot. That's a challenging task, and I think she more than delivered, so that's why I gave her some shine here. Emily Blunt, not in the movie that much, but that interrogation scene is is really what drives it home, and that's one of the moments that sticks with me from Oppenheimer, so that's why I give her that nomination. Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo is an underrated actor. A lot of people forget how good Mark Ruffalo is because like I think back to two of my more the performances I remember most from the last couple of years Mark Ruffalo's got a couple of them like Duncan Wedderburn is definitely one of the better performance like it's just so he's so charismatic it's such a side of Mark Ruffalo that I haven't seen really before it's something that i didn't think he could play off he kind of has this grandiose sense of ego 
And it's just like a layer, an unexpectedly layered performance given the character as he's written. And he just does a really great job. Benny Safdie, again, I think Benny Safdie steals every scene that Benny Safdie is in, in Oppenheimer. And like, I've only seen, this is only the second role that I've seen him in. The other being Good Time, which he is also, that's also one of my favorite movies. Benny Safdie is a very unique looking person. And a hallmark of the characters he plays, I feel like, is that he is a unique-looking person, but his characters don't feel the same. He's a very, very good actor and also a very good filmmaker. So, again, Benny Safdie, one of the most intriguing people, one of my favorite people working in Hollywood. And America Ferreira does add a, a human element, a, a humanity to Barbie that I think is much needed in that movie. And she comes in a, a, at a very good time where she kind of, again, does add... I, I keep saying levity, but she does add a levity at a point in the movie in which it is much needed. So do you want to give some more thoughts about your nominees before I give out my zoner? Yeah, yeah, um, I'd love to. I guess we'll start with Kayla Lane. I mean, you can't have that Wonka movie without Noodle, and she nails it. I mean, imagine being a child actor in that film with those names. It's got to be immensely challenging to be a child actor, especially in 2023 or 22 when it was when filming started i mean you know the the amount of talent that i think she has now and going into the future is just immense and uh that performance was just legendary i love that film didn't expect to love it loved it hitataka yoshioka i mean he played an excellent doc character um i went back and watched the 1950s godzilla um and you know he just emulates this this idea and this caricature about this character that i think is absolutely masterfully done um he provides levity at points he's very serious uh he had a wide range of assignments in that film and i think that he nailed every single one of them i don't speak japanese i don't think that that makes much of a difference in my nomination here if you do speak japanese and you know, perhaps maybe he delivered his lines incorrectly or had intonation that wasn't, you know, correct or, in your opinion, was fell flat. Let me know if you uh, happen upon this podcast and speak Japanese. Matt Damon as Leslie Groves. That film, it would it would have been a tremendous loss if Matt Damon was not in that role. He had probably the one of maybe three or four comedic lines in that movie. I'd say the, the funniest comedic line, and that's when him and Oppenheimer are sitting in the hut prior to the night before launch and he's asking about the probability of the entire world burning up very funny perfectly delivered it's matt damon i mean he's good good yeah, job he's matt quite damon. Good. you lived you lived up to your potential davine joy randolph she is the heart and soul of the holdovers her performance was outstanding you could tell that she came from the stage in the sense that she i think you could say this about a lot of actors stage actors turned film actors she just emulates this presence that I think if the if the holdovers did not have, I don't know if Paul Giamatti would have had the performance that he did. I don't know if Dominic Sessa would have had the performance that he did. So segueing into Dominic Sessa, I mean, him as Angus. So the holdovers production company were filming at his school and he auditioned for this role and, and got it and nailed it. I mean, that film makes you laugh. It makes you cry. Angus is a huge part of that, and his interplay with both Davine and Paul in the film, it's its a complete masterpiece, in my opinion, for 
for what it is and and his performance is, is surely a testament to that so congratulations to our, our nominees kyle would you like to go first and reveal your, your who's zoner? getting kyle's owner hmm it was a tough one if i had it down to two i had it down to emily blunt or the ultimate winner we're going Mark Ruffalo. Mark Ruffalo gets okay. my zoner. Woo. Again, just a a movie where, look, we'll, we'll get to this more in best performance, but just his his kind of chemistry with Emma Stone uh, as Bella Baxter and just how their relationship evolves over the course of that movie and how he changes in reaction to Bella Baxter. It, Nick, you really need to see the poor things, but just it is such an incredibly well done movie. And Mark Ruffalo is a major part of my enjoyment. He kind of, again, the movie reaches a point where his his character is phased out. When he's in the movie, he steal he doesn't steal every scene, but he aids every scene and he makes every scene as strong as it is. He is an integral part of the fabric of that movie, which was one of my favorites of last year. So, gotta give him my zoner. Nick, to whom are you giving your award for best supporting performance? Yeah, it's gotta be Davine. Um, like I said, heart and soul of that film. As you uh, eloquently put Mark Ruffalo's performance, integral to the fabric, I think you said. Of the Nick, film. I went to journalism school for um, a couple of years, brother. I can write. Oh, be- no, beautiful. No, beautifully Thank done. You. Beautifully Thank done. Uh, they don't teach you how to write like that in law school, let me tell you. Yeah, she she was wonderful. I look forward to everything else she does on screen. Davine, thank you for your performance. Shouts out, Davine. And Mark, you will be you will be receiving your zoners in the mail. Do you want to take the lead here on best performance? I would. I'd like to begin with my nominees. The nominees are... Margot Robbie, who plays stereotypical Barbie... In Barbie. <laughs> what movie is that in? <laughs> it's the one with the nuclear weapon. Killian Murphy, who plays J. Robert Oppenheimer in uh, Barbie. Correct. Uh, Tim- bad, stupid bit. Uh, Timothy Chalamet. Okay, what's he in? <laughs> <laughs> the chocolate movie. Willy Wonka. Uh, All right, Wonka. Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> stupid bit. Dumb bit. Uh, Paul Giamatti. And Oppenheimer. <laughs> Who plays... I don't... What's his name in... I think his name is Paul in The Holdovers as well. I, I think I'd like to see Paul Giamatti as J. Robert Oppenheimer, personally. I'd like to see him as Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Giamatti, <laughs> Willy Wonka. He's very versatile. And then finally, we have John David Washington, which is kind of a fringe pick. Okay. As Joshua in The Creator, which was one of my favorite films of the year, uh, even though it was very... In my opinion, a little bit cliche. And I loved his performance. I, I, it was so fun, and it was fun for me. And I could go back and watch the movie a million times. No, it was great. I, I loved the movie. I am sad. I thought it was a lock to turn a profit, and what was a down year for Disney. I thought the creator was going to do really well because it was only an eighty million dollar movie. I thought it was going to turn quite a bit of a profit, but it didn't. It, it made like a hundred million, which after marketing, I don't think it broke even. But regardless, we're not talking about box office. We're talking about performance, and I do agree. John David Washington effectively carried that movie. Is it time for my nominees? It's time for the Kyle nominees. Okay. Here's the Kyle nominees. I was nervous about these ones. Again, I got some wild cards in here. We're going to start 
start here with Killian Murphy as J. Robert Oppenheimer. And Oppenheimer, again, borrowing one of yours, but anyone who has seen Oppenheimer and doesn't nominate him in their own personal awards, I, I don't know what you're doing. And people could say the same thing about us with Robert Downey Jr., but Killian Murphy just... That, that movie, he carries that movie. That is an enthralling three-hour movie in which Killian Murphy is on screen for what seems like two hours and 50 minutes of it. And you are yeah. engaged every single minute. He is incredible. Speaking of engaged with a performance, forgive me here. Ryonosuke, or Ryonosuke... Uh, Kamiki as Koichi Shikishima in Godzilla Minus One. You brought this up with the actor who played Doc. We do not speak Japanese, yet I found myself, to use the word enthralled again, enthralled with his powerhouse emotional performance, despite the fact that I I don't speak the same language, right? I, I just sensed the emotion that he was performing with, and just, again, a powerhouse performance everyone talks about the strength of the characters in that film and shikishima is the strongest character he drives that movie and you connect with him and he just like the range of emotions you go through with him throughout godzilla minus one in a godzilla movie we're talking about it was just incredible great performance from him also have emma stone as bella baxter in poor things Again, just I, I can kind of just echo the same things I said about Killian Murphy about Emma Stone. Just a powerhouse performance. What she does in that movie is nothing short of incredible. And then I also have Vivian Opara, who played Yaz in Rye Lane. Haven't seen her get a lot of awards buzz, and probably maybe for understandable reason, this movie came out Hulu at the beginning of 2023. Uh, so it's a streaming movie that came out like last February or March. It's a movie that a lot of people have forgotten about, but it is a very underrated movie. It just hit me at, at the right time, just given what I was going through in life at the time. It's just a heartwarming movie, kind of gave me hope moving forward. And Yaz, or Vivian Opara as Yaz, she doesn't drive the movie. It's, it's She kind of stars alongside, I forget what the dude's name was. It doesn't really matter because she gave the better performance. And so I, I'd like to give her some shine. And then Yorma Tobia as whatever the protagonist's name is, Sisu is. Sisu is this crazy Finnish World War II movie. And uh, Yorma Tobia doesn't say a line until the end of the movie. But it's just like this really physical performance where, again, you connect with him despite the fact that he has he's not speaking. Right? Like, it's just him and a dog going through Finland. It's a really entertaining movie. He gives a great performance, so I wanted to give him some uh, some shine here. So, Nick, if you would, just say uh, say a few comments about your people and then uh, who who's getting your, uh, your award. Yeah, I think you kind of really drilled in Killian Murphy. Talk a little, about, little bit about Margot Robbie. Just recently saw Barbie. I found the film underwhelming slightly, but obviously, again, the movie wasn't necessarily made for me but margot robbie she's excellent in everything yeah. that she does and she obviously had a huge hand in producing the film the character was made for her i mean she did an excellent job and out of anyone in that film she i mean she carried just like killian did in oppenheimer john david washington i touched on earlier loved his performance in the creator in a movie that was self-aware john david washington gave me the the feeling that i was really in this gripping character driven tale that maybe i hadn't seen before even though i have you know we've seen that storyline that plot play out many times in sci-fi films past but john david washington gave me a performance that made me feel like it was fresh and i appreciated that and i thought 
He really carried that film. Timothy Chalamet, shocking. Shocking. Shockingly good. As someone who has a very amateur level of vocal training in the past, his voice was perfect for the role. It wasn't perfect. It was good, if not great. And I think that that made the performance that much better. It was real. Mm -hmm. But in fantasy, in this fantasy joyous wonderland, and he was genuine and we've we talked we saw this film together i mean you walk out of that theater you are filled with joy i was dancing exactly and and it's in no small part to mr chalamet so bravo and finally i'll reveal my winner paul giamatti i mean and i obviously this is not controversial since this is after uh, the golden globes in which he won best actor he transforms himself his dialogue is so natural but it has that Giamatti flavor that we've all come to know and uh, know and love. I'm not sure if you've ever seen the John Adams miniseries on HBO. I've seen clips of it. Yeah, he transforms into John Adams, just like he pr- transforms into this random teacher in rural Massachusetts. He becomes a person that you think you know, mm-hmm. and his ability to do that and to make you feel his character. And again, it's in no small part to his supporting actors in this film in particular but he is standalone just an incredible performer seems like just a great person obviously that's not a criteria when i was evaluating best performance but bravo paul um you killed it you made me laugh you made me cry and many others yeah i don't know if you've ever seen this is kind of just a tangent before i reveal my winner i have seen this 2015 disaster movie called san andreas which has The Rock, Carla Gugino, or Gugino, Alexandra Daddario, and Paul Giamatti. I have seen this movie no fewer than 15 times. I don't know why. I just, I saw this movie in theaters. I watch this movie every time it's on TV. I don't care what point of the movie it's at or what I'm doing. I will turn it on and watch it. It is my favorite bad movie. And Paul Giamatti is in it. He plays a a teacher who like those people the seismologists or whatever the people who do earthquakes or the people who sure yeah study the earthquakes yeah Yeah, he's uh one of those dudes and again it's just like this paul giamatti performance in the middle of this terrible the rock disaster movie Uh, that's a disaster it's just like what are you doing here paul giamatti why are you making me like this movie i i've yet to see the holdovers but i want to because paul giamatti is one of the finest actors working today uh, was also Agreed. in Big Fat Liar. Seen Big Fat Liar? <laughs> yes, <laughs> many moons ago. Great movie. So, Kyle, who uh, who's getting your best performance? Who's getting, the, who's, who's getting who's... the zoner? We're going Emma Stone. Look, I'm not going to defi- definitively say best. No, you love the movie, and you love. Oh, Emma I love Stone. poor things. No, I'm not going to definitively say that it's the best acting performance I've ever seen, but it's one of it's one of the best acting performances I've ever seen. Just because she. Again, you haven't seen it, so I don't want to spoil much, but just it's a beautiful movie that I wouldn't recommend to anyone just because it's so strange and it's so odd. It's a lot like The Lobster, which makes sense given the director. But yeah. again, it's this movie about the human experience and you see Bella Baxter, this woman, growing up literally literally from baby to like astute intellectual. 
you see her grow from extreme to extreme and it's emma stone's performance that really just you are enthralled with this character i keep using that word but you are this character is just so magnetic you, you just cannot help but love this character and just how she grows and how she changes it's just such such a powerful great performance an incredible performance that i will watch that movie several times once it's out on blu-ray i will buy that and watch it several times just to see her performance again that's how strong it is best score nick we're giving out a joint zoner here we're giving our zoner to the same movie so i'll let you take it which uh what wins best score boppenheimer oh uh, honorable mention joe asashi boy in the heron i was listening to that soundtrack as i studied for my final exams nice Oppenheimer you could too but honestly I tried and it was like it just got me in the mood I'm like oh I gotta see this film again yeah Ludwig Göransson he is the next generation composer for film and tv I mean he did Boba Fett Mandalorian Oppenheimer now him and Nick Bratel it seems like like they're they jump on these projects and, and just blow it out of the water the way that Nolan was able to weave in the music or vice versa, maybe it works so perfectly. And I remember that scene in IMAX in the beginning when Killian Murphy is kind of understanding the entire concept of splitting the atom and you kind of get this like animation transition and, and the, the can you hear the music, I think, is the song that's playing and it. Oh, my gosh, it's so powerful. And throughout the film, it's perfect. I don't even know else to describe it if you've seen it you know what i'm talking about you know what we're talking about yeah again we're not experts on music but we can pretend to be right which yeah. is kind of what we're doing here with movies exactly exactly so so next into our intermission of kind of uh more fun kooky wacky zany fun. yeah we're that's all of the above is what we are we have our best line uh zoner uh coincidentally our best lines come from the same film which we'll definitely talk about later yes <laughs> a bit more in depth the yes. film itself but kyle who uh who gets your zo- well what line gets your zoner let me set the scene nick we've got joaquin phoenix we've got josephine across the table and they're going at it as they often do throughout the film in several different types of ways they go at it we're, we're talking about the metaphorical it and the literal it so to speak in this scene they are in a verbal confrontation across the table from one another. And uh, Josephine says, you're getting fat. <laughs> and Napoleon goes, I enjoy my meals. I do. <laughs> and and that there are a lot of lines in Napoleon that stick with me, which you will say another one here soon. But for some reason, there was just something about I enjoy my meals. Just how he's like, what a response to say when somebody says like, you're gaining weight, you're getting fat, whatever. I enjoy my meals. It's such a great line. Beautifully written, not by Ridley Scott. He he made everyone, he made sure that everyone knew after the movie who had, you know, issues with the historical accuracy. I didn't write it. Some nerd read the books and wrote it. I didn't, you know, that's not me. I just made the movie, which you need to watch the full four hour version on Apple TV Plus. But no, I enjoy my meals. What a line. The dialogue in that film continues to confuse me, but... I also am giving my zoner to a similar line. Please deliver it like he does. I don't know if I can. There is a 
we can link in the description of this podcast a, a TikTok because I wanted to Google and make sure I had the correct quote. Right um, verbatim. And I, I, I believe I was close. <laughs> Apple TV uh, <laughs> clipped four seconds of it for a TikTok, which may be the point of the entire line itself. It might have just been for the TikTok. They knew. It's Napoleon angry at England where he exclaims, you think you're so great because you have boats? Yeah, that's uh, that's the line. And it's just kind of thrown in there from what I remember. Yeah, this is the problem with the film, is that it's all in English, and it goes from, like, mid-century sort of formal English to modern colloquial speak. Right. You think you're so great because you have boats. Am I, like, five years old in the playground sandbox? Yes. Like, yes. Am I yelling at you because you have the the plastic boat and I don't? <laughs> like, is that what we've, is that what we're doing here? There's there are better analogies there, funnier ones even, but it just it feels so out of place and is so memorable. Just like I enjoy my meals. I enjoy like, my meals. Yeah, and 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 the delivery from Mr. Phoenix, it just it makes the it makes the line. So, so bravo, honorable mention for Ridley Scott's Napoleon uh, in, in our best line category, but not for the reason that maybe Ridley would want. But he wouldn't care about because, again, he just directed the film. He didn't, those the nerds wrote it. Yeah, he didn't read the books. <laughs> Who do you think he is, a filmmaker? Like, uh, no, get, get out of here, dude. Uh, <laughs> Nick, you just don't understand, right, that, look, Napoleon – He's a petulant child, and that's what kind of we need to take away from the character is that he's a brilliant military strategist and things like that. In theory, not so much in the film, but in in actuality, he was this brilliant military strategist who was a very layered and complex character. I don't think, like, he's one of the worst people in the history of the world, right? Like, I don't think that he's, like, this tyrannical, maniacal dictator who is up there with Hitler and Mussolini. I don't think he's in that category, historically speaking, but look, he's not a great guy, and there's a lot that can be said and explored about Napoleon, much of which this film didn't do because it instead tried to focus and paint him as this petulant child, and you don't understand because it's so important that we know that he's a petulant child, um, and, and that's why we get these lines. You think you're so great because you have boats, and I enjoy my meals. Uh, he should have been eating chicken nuggies in that scene. What do you think about that? Right. Thank you. Uh, first, never say chicken nuggies again. And second, yeah, now that you explain it to me, I, I get it now. I clearly didn't appreciate the art because art can only really be appreciated if it's explained to you by someone who knows what they're talking about. So, Absolutely. Appreciate that. Yes. Uh, that's what I'm here for. So, so moving into this is a continuation of that conversation. We know what people should appreciate um and there there were plenty of films on the market this past year that that were underappreciated kyle yeet what films were underappreciated or movies um because there is a difference it's getting the zoner yes there's very Uh, much a difference (laughs) it's getting the zoner for most underappreciated so both of these are movies neither of these are films but we have i want to give a shout out here this isn't winning the zoner but dungeons and dragons honor among thieves i went into this movie last march i think it came out 
not expecting much of anything, right? Like the old Dungeons and Dragons movie was bad. This just kind of seemed like the most 2023 movie of all time. The Paramount, it was Paramount. Again, we talk about Paramount having a rough year at the box office, but it's just kind of like, okay, here's an IP that we have the rights to. It's generally well-liked and it seems like it could be something fun. And this movie is shockingly fun, right? Like there is just, it kind of, look, like it's not it's obviously not a new hope it's nowhere near the quality of a new hope which is one of my favorite movies of all time but like it's kind of got like that ragtag group of people working together to fight a common enemy it's got just like that mishmash of people feeling working in this grand fantasy world and again there's just kind of like it kind of takes that George Lucas style of world building where they kind of like present characters and different races and species and stuff like that in the background or in passing and they're not expounded upon or expanded upon and they're not explained so it just makes you interested in that character it's just like okay what's that dude doing it's a very fun and well-structured movie i liked it a lot but it doesn't win most appreciated because for me that goes to haunted mansion the justin simeon directed also or it stars the keith stanfield rosario dawson this movie Disney set this movie up to fail, man. This movie came, this is a haunted mansion movie. Came out the last weekend of July, the weekend after Barbenheimer, which, uh, and Barbenheimer hype leaked over into the second weekend. So, Haunted Mansion never had a shot. It really didn't. But that being said, I loved this movie. This movie was made for me. I can objectively say it is not a great movie. The CGI isn't great. Weirdly a heavily driven, heavily reliant upon CGI movie. And I have no idea what they spent the $150 million production budget on or why this movie had a $150 million production budget. <laughs> uh, but it certainly did. But again, the performances are great. Like Keith Stanfield, I think, is the weakest performance performance but that said he has this scene in the middle where it's just like why am i almost crying in the haunted mansion movie like dude delivered when he needed to danny devito is hilarious jamie lee curtis is in it and again if people do continue to listen to this and listen every week they will quickly come to learn i am a disney parks nerd disney parks is my bread and butter i love this stuff so i was kind of predetermined if you will to like haunted mansion or at least respect it if they did it properly and they do right they, they give me my fan service they give me everything i want and on top of that an engaging and fun story so this this isn't a movie that is going to be for everybody i do admit that this again was made for me and it delivered and i loved it yeah i need to see it my most underappreciated i have a little i have a shout out as well and this is directed towards you actually though. coming at the king my shout out is super mario brothers movie because and you'll learn why later in the show why this is you know at kyle but i think that the mario movie was was underappreciated by you kyle by you by me specifically yes by you i think it was a treat actually did you wow. not hear the song peaches peaches by is, jack black peaches is a song yeah kyle it was a banger a banger i'm playing it at a number one most peaches no, peaches not, peaches but... <laughs> yeah no it's good it's catchy i saw that film this was the film i saw movie i saw on my phone and let me tell you 
terrific phone movie, uh, underappreciated by Kyle specifically. Do you have? Do you, have, do you want to comment before I? Do you want to comment? So you admit that it wasn't good enough to be called the Super Mario Brothers film. I believe it's. Isn't it called the Super Mario Brothers movie? Right. So you think it's aptly. It knows titled. what it is. Okay. Okay. It knows what it is. Okay. I'll yeah. get into and it. And you I'll should accept it. that. I'll get into it. My most underappreciated film of 2023 is The Creator. I loved it, and everyone forgot about it. Why? Because it's forgettable. But no, <laughs> it's not. Watch it again. I I challenge our audience. If you haven't seen it, see it. If you have seen it, watch it again. Give it a look on the old TV. It might have a cult following down the road. It might. Because it's fun. The universe is cool. There are endless opportunities for fan fictions, let me tell you. Future storytelling, that's what you need, baby. Exactly. So, wonderful film. I enjoyed every second of it. We saw it in IMAX, didn't we? That we did. Terrific IMAX film terrific IMAX film which we'll get into later about you know movie that's or movies films that yes. perhaps were wastes of money Kyle what was your most underwhelming film of 2023 I'll you can get give your to it. I, I no 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 I want to know I want to I want to wax some lyrical about the creator first because I do agree I didn't like it quite as much as you did but I really did like it I thought it was again it's just I had read reviews before we saw it that said it was like potentially generational sci-fi like, I don't think it's, like, Blade Runner, right? Like, I don't think it's that good, but, like, it, it was really good. And like you said, the world that they created was really interesting. And, again, they did this for $80 million, and there is room for future storytelling. There was It, it was a familiar story that they told, but it was fun. I liked it a lot. Gareth Edwards. I mean, we said this coming out of the yeah, movie. Shout out Gareth Edwards. Yeah, he did I, didn't, a, I didn't even mention him. Yeah, I, this was his thing. This was his shtick. I didn't even mention him. Right. No, we just said it coming out of the movie that it was very much because like the rumor obviously was that he got removed from Rogue One, which to me, you can tell that it's kind of a, you know, a mess of a movie. I don't like Rogue One particularly, but Love Andor, which is odd, but you can kind of tell that like the creator was kind of like his counterpunch to Lucasfilm where it's like, okay, I'm going to make the movie I wanted to make. I'm just going to do it in my world and tell like a pertinent story to right now. Great movie. Most underwhelming for me. I wholeheartedly admit that the super Mario brothers movie. Look, it was incredibly successful. It made over a billion dollars. One of the few movies to make over a billion dollars last year. It, found its audience and its audience liked it but as somebody who likes mario quite a bit who plays quite a bit i mean everyone has a connection to mario everyone has a personal connection to mario i've written an article about that uh for media yeah i was gonna say shout out to the media zone article that you all should check out if you have a free second right yeah it's called like um mario or how asset diversification led to global domination or something like that but just like Nintendo very intentionally has positioned this character in such a way that a lot of people growing up are led to Mario in some way, right? Where it's just like, however you want to interact with the character, there is a means through which to do so. Whether you want to play a sports video game, a platformer, whatever, there are several different avenues through which you can approach and interact with the Mario character, which makes sense why this movie made billions of dollars. I just feel like with a character and a world, story-wise, potentially as rich as Mario and the Mushroom Kingdom and his supporting cast, and with a character with this much history, I just felt the movie was kind of vanilla. Like, they played it 
very, very safe to the point that there's like almost not a story at all. If I again, I haven't seen the movie since it came out. You just saw it last week. So maybe you can help me here. But like all I remember from the movie is like. Mario and Luigi have a a plumbing business in New York and <laughs> they fall through the pipes and they go to the mushroom uh, Mario goes to the mushroom kingdom and, what are you laughing at because they keep going it's just and, and Lu- Luigi gets uh trapped Mario gets uh goes to the mushroom kingdom and then he encounters Peach because he wants to find Mario. And then he has to do this stupid, like, trial course thing. And then <laughs> they end up with Donkey Kong. They go to Kong Country, which leads us to the Mario Kart scene that is thrown in there for no reason. Yeah, that was what I was waiting to get to. Right, and then the, the Mario... Oh, don't they play Take On Me during the Mar- during like the introduction of the Mario Kart sequence? Yeah. Like, what does Take On Me do it? Like, this is a children's movie. Why are we playing Take On Me? Like, this is bizarre. And just, like, Bowser wants Peach for some reason. And because I, that's what Bowser does historically. And just, like, again, they end up in New York at the end. Then there's the Yoshi uh, uh, post-credit. It's just very much a movie that seemed designed to just not break the mold or say anything meaningful. And again, it's a it's a children's movie. But children's movies, like, you look at the Disney Renaissance. Animation designed for children can say something and can be meaningful and can tell a story. The Super Mario Brothers movie doesn't attempt to do that. It just kind of rests on its laurels and it kind of just takes advantage of the fact and relies on the fact that this is a beloved IP that so many people, millions if not billions of people, have history with and love. And it just, again, kind of puts that on the screen and says, here it is on the screen. And it's like, you could have really done something else other than just put it on the big screen. So that's why I kind of wanted more than the Super Mario, or from the Super Mario Brothers movie. Again, I admit, the movie's not for me. This is very much a children's movie, and children seem to love it. It made a billion dollars. So people obviously went back to the theater to see it again. They're gonna make a sequel. I just hope that they tell an actual story in in the sequel and capitalize on, you know, actually doing something with these characters that so many people love as opposed to just... Here they are. Well, this goes back to my medium conversation. You say it wasn't made for you, but you have not in recent memory, actually, I suppose you have been on a two and a half hour flight from one place to another where the only device you have on you is your phone and it connects to the Wi-Fi and it's available on, you know, Southwest TV product, whatever software it is. So, I think I think you need to give it a shot on a different medium, Kyle, and I think that might change your mind, and might whelm you instead of underwhelm you. Well, like it's not going to overwhelm you. Do you agree? You. Do you think there's a story? Like, do you think this? Wah. Wah. <laughs> don't, we don't need don't give stories. Me Mario voice. We, we don't need stories. Fred Armisen was the Donkey Kong dad. He was Cranky, Cranky. Kong. Hell yeah, he so, was. You're right. Like, come on. Oh, oh, and I'm telling Anya Taylor-Joy what you think about her. No, Anya. No, she's going to come on. I will. Love Anya. That's enough. I am not talking about this (laughs) film anymore. Movie. I am not. I'm sorry. We're set. Okay, but no, uh, like I'm I'd not. Like to... I'm sorry. I need to just give my 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 end cap no, here. No, no, dude. Please like, do. I'm just 
I'm sad. <laughs> I like, I'm not heartless, right? Like I saw this movie. Yeah, um, you're heartless. In a, That's why in you a don't like it. Theater, it was a, a packed theater. Which again, I saw this movie opening night because I, I love right. Mario. And everyone probably clapped. Right, like, and, and again, this movie hit hit with certain people, right? Like the children right, in me. that, <laughs> right? That the, the, the children in my theater loved this movie, right? And I'm glad, I'm glad that this movie exists for them, and I'm glad that they have a movie that is probably going to be, you know, define their childhood for some of them, or be one of those pillar movies that makes them, you know, that they go home and they've watched a hundred times since it's come out on Netflix, right? Like, I, and as I was leaving, children were singing "Peaches." I was like. I'm glad that these people that these children have this movie. I just think it could have been more. I don't think Illumination did the most that they could have with no, this. No, they did. And I hope See they, what they I did they was the they took the Top Gun Maverick formula and made this for kids. Okay, interesting. Yes. This is the 2023 Top Gun Maverick for kids. Look at the numbers, baby. You're right. No, they Watch it money. again. It's for everyone. Everybody. You're right. And they killed it. There's an economics phrase for that, but I'm not that guy, so I'm not going to bring it up. <laughs> They're taking the market share. What they make a they made like a billion dollars on this movie, Kyle. Don't argue with the money. No, the I agree. Moolah. They did exactly what they I'm wanted to kidding. do. No, but you're I'm no no, kidding. and that's what sucks though, is you're right. That's all they care about. They're looking at the no, they're looking don't. at the money, baby. They're like green, green, green. Uh like they yeah. that's well, all we're going to see the sequel in three D, so wonderful and yeah like look i'm excited for super nintendo world at universal that's gonna be lit which when it opens at epic universe i i could go to hollywood right now in theory but like it's gonna be cool but like I, i'm glad that mario that nintendo is now starting to use the ip and they're starting to use their ips in general right because you got a zelda live action movie coming out and illumination reportedly pitched Nintendo on like wanting to take over all their IPs and lead to a Smash Brothers movie, which again, Illumination's not the studio to do that with, but whatever. Did you see Migration yet? No. I do want to see okay. it though because the director yeah, also directed too. Ernest and Cel- uh, Celestine or Celestine whatever, uh, which was like a really beloved animated movie a couple of years ago, French. So yeah, I'd like to see it. Uh, I'm assuming it's good, but I, I have yet to see it. Will though. What's your most underwhelming, Nick? Shout out 65. Oh, oh. See, for you, you knew what to expect. I did not. So after purchasing my $20 ticket, okay. or might have been more if we saw it in IMAX. I can't even no, remember No, we didn't. This no, this, no, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Then it would be in our next category if so. Dinosaur movie was great. Dinosaurs went raw. Dinosaurs scary. Yes, they did. I feel like with that talent... Adam Driver's talented. Adam Driver's we, a we very did. good actor. But with that talent, you could have just went a few inches further, right? Like, yeah, it's a dinosaur movie, but look at what they did with Godzilla with those actors, mm-hmm. you know? Just saying. Could have made it a little, like, like develop that family dynamic a little more, right? Just. Uh, it yeah, hit yeah. for me. All right. It hit for me. And also, that's Ariana Greenblatt. Or Greenblatt. She played the kid. She was also in Barbie. She uh, played Sasha in Barbie, I think. Yes. Yes, she did. Yeah, yes, she did. Which, um, crazy. Good good movie. Underwhelming to me. That's why it's a shout-out. Did not win. Oh, it's the not winner of my most underwhelming zoner is Napoleon. This film was built for television. The director admits this. It, everything about it underwhelmed me. Yes, I agree. Except, 
except maybe the costumes, which a lot of people don't look at or care about. But I, I watch a lot of historical stuff, and I think the costumes were good. I thought that some of the scenes, like the cinematography and the scenes were, were great, but they were just too short. Like when they're, when they're at the pyramids, I feel like we see the pyramids for like a second, and then we spend 20 minutes Napoleon looking at the sarcophagus. You have these great expansive shots that you could have used a lot more of. Maybe they're in the extended cut, but I saw it in IMAX. I want to see them on the IMAX screen. Right, I paid... Twenty something dollars to see this on an yeah, 20, IMAX. Twenty twenty five bucks. Twenty five bucks. It was a nice day to to see a movie, and that, but that that's what that's what made it worth it for me. Like I'm not gonna go back and see this film again. No, nothing in that film made me say, "Wow, I want to see this again or re-examine this." It was like, "Yep, I saw it. It was it wasn't great." <laughs> it, and and for the clips that they were putting on Twitter, I was like, "Wow, this must be the whole movie." It's like, nope. It's just that one scene, the big battle with the lake. I don't water. Oh yeah, whatever that, that one is. Yeah, uh, Austerlitz. Whatever, Austerlitz, where they fall through. Yeah, it, it's yeah, yeah. And even that scene, it's like, oh, this is all I got. Like I could have seen this on my phone, and I, I didn't want that out of Napoleon. Um, character development, obviously, like it was what it was. I thought the relationship dynamic was interesting, at least between Napoleon and his wife. It wasn't compelling enough for me to think, oh. You know, I, I want to see this again. No, and and that's and that's usually my binary, with a lot of things. So take that with a grain of salt. But do you, do you agree? Was it underwhelming to you? I I agree. No, that that was my second runner up for, or my first runner up rather for most underwhelming. Oh, I'll, I'll get into my issues with Napoleon here with our next category. But uh, just a preview there. Uh, my other most underwhelming. Talk my trash about Wish here. Wish. Uh, the Disney animated movie this year. Again, I'm a Disney guy, massive Disney parks guy. I like the Walt Disney Company. I, I spend a lot of time researching it, the history of it, whatever. Wish, when I heard about it, was cool. Where it's just like, yeah, this movie is our celebration of our 100 years as a studio. And we are going to put these references to our past movies in this movie. And, like, uh, my biggest issue is that with Wish is that it's not a movie of its own merit, right? It's not a movie that survives on itself which sucks because it kind of has the potential to be i think the story at its core is interesting and had they actually tried to tell its own story it could have been cool but instead it just plays it so safe songs kind of stink there's like one good song other than that the songs kind of stink the performances are meh and again the movie is just littered with these references to the past movies the past better movies and it's just the movie just constantly reminds you of better movies, uh, of movies better than the one you're currently watching because this one just, they didn't give it the opportunity to succeed, which is frustrating. But whatever, let's get into our next award here, the waste of IMAX money. We both agree. Yeah, yeah, take it away. We both agree that it's Napoleon. So we saw the creator with each other in IMAX and they played, uh, you know, in the previews before, in the trailers before, the creator started they showed the trailer for napoleon this was the first time that i had ever seen the trailer for napoleon because i had seen it floating around twitter but i didn't actually sit down and watch it so this my first time engaging with this on an imax screen i was like this looks incredible some of the shots the cinematography again it's a ridley scott movie you kind of expect it to be well shot but just like how it was framed like the the pyramid shot on that imax screen seeing that i was like 
I need to spend my money to watch this in an IMAX theater. Like, I, I had no interest in it before, but that trailer on that IMAX screen made me... I was sold right then and there. I needed to see it. So then you and I... I, I maybe it was the first day it came out or the second day it came out. We went and saw it in IMAX and just, I was so, so underwhelmed. There was nothing in that movie that we needed to pay 20 uh, something bucks for to go see on the biggest screen possible. Just like, again, all the cool IMAX scenes were shown in the trailer. I got everything, I got more out of the trailer in IMAX than I did seeing the whole movie in the IMAX, or in IMAX, because it was, the actual movie was put together by, like, these, again, the performances were generally good, but just, like, this weird, misguided, strange movie that Ridley Scott says afterwards, oh, you just, you're gonna have to wait and, and watch the full movie, my full vision when it comes out on Apple TV+. Plus. It's like, I just paid $25 to see this movie and you're telling me to wait and watch the actual one? Like, well, then what did I spend my money on? Like, it's, again, this is kind of a general industry trend, unfortunately, but, you know, speaking more so about Napoleon, where it's just like, it, it's so disrespectful of the moviegoer and of the audience to be like, yes, please go spend your money to see this version. Spend three hours and $25 of your time to see this version of the movie, but also take it with a grain of salt because it's not my actual vision. You're going to need to spend four hours of your time and also spend money on Apple TV Plus to watch that when it comes out. It's like, give me a break, man. Give me a break. That's just so stupid and like for lack of a better term it's so stupid and like this this is what you give me we're, we're making a movie about one of the most i don't even want to say influential because that's maybe not the the correct term but like you're making a movie about one of the most popular and documented figures in human history and you just give me this underwhelming kind of I, I don't even I can't even formulate my actual thoughts on Napoleon just because it was so so underwhelming just missed the mark for me on every basically every level and it's one of those movies that a lot of movies stick with me after I see them and I like them more and more than I did when I initially saw them Napoleon like I texted you the next day I was like this movie like, I was on the fence coming out of the movie. I actually hated it. Like, I, I think this movie was just, like, very few redeeming qualities. It's too long. Performances aren't as good as a lot of people like to pretend they are. Like, I thought the production design was great. Some of the shots were great, but they're held together by just, like, boringness. I, I, I didn't like this movie. I could not have said it any better myself. So, I think that might be where we'll leave Napoleon. In, in a ditch side of the road i i want to give it a nice ditch but it doesn't deserve it no it's, well we'll it's cast it it's out a, to an it, island in the mediterranean it was a waste of money when i'm drunk one day i will put on the extended edition on apple tv plus and i will laugh throughout the entire film as i did in my head in the imax theater at myself for wasting time and money i don't even want like i don't want to pretend like look i, I feel like kind of my critiques are coming off as though like, I'm mad he wasn't painted in a better light. Napoleon wasn't a good dude. No, no, no. Yeah, they're not. Don't worry. I, it's a weird not. portrayal of Napoleon. Just fundamentally approached the material from a strange perspective and not the best perspective, I don't think. So let's move on. Best director, Nick. Who are your nominees for this zoner? 
the nominees are Alexander Payne, The Holdovers. I've talked extensively about this film. Couldn't have done it without you, Alexander. Paul King, Wonka. Love him. Obviously, Paul has a bright future ahead of him. We'll see if he continues his his success. Boy, did he succeed in making a joyful, wonderful children's movie that really blew me out of the water. And it might have been because my expectations were so low. Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer. I mean, he's cocky for a reason. Yes. And I'm not saying outwardly cocky. I'm saying in that film. he It is a Nolan film. It is perfectly Nolan. You are slammed in the face with Christopher Nolan. And if you don't like Christopher Nolan or you just don't like his cockiness, you'll hate the movie. But if you're open to the idea or if you like Christopher Nolan, which I think I fall into the latter two categories, mostly into I like Christopher Nolan, you're going to love the movie. Greta Gerwig, Barbie, she's excellent. Is Barbie her best? Many think so. I don't. Do I think that it was an incredibly directed film? Yes, I do. Compared to Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer, do I think Oppenheimer was terrific? Yes. Do I think it's his best? Maybe. So that's kind of my my differentiating factor between those two. I thought everything from, from casting to cinematography to obviously they wanted to make a an accessible feminist movie and they did and and she did a great job and obviously the box the box office numbers speak for that and then finally Miyazaki uh for Boy and the Heron if you haven't seen it see it see it in theaters I watched the dub I imagine the sub is good as well it is it it's the latest Miyazaki movie it's moving it's powerful it's very well done my favorite Miyazaki movie is still Howl and Moving Castle, but this 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 might be second. This might have taken Spirited Away, but my initial gut reaction was like, eh, it's not my favorite, but it's up there. It's up there, and I've seen, I think, most of them at this point now, so I went on a big binge last year. Oh, Kyle, best director. Who are your nominees? Yeah, so I'll just echo two of yours off the top here. Christopher Nolan, Oppenheimer. Again, everything you said, this is a Nolan film through and through, and it's not my favorite of his but i think it is very good again it's a movie that despite the three hour runtime i'm going to watch several times over it is just incredible i i well-structured movie the performances are incredible look we each had we each nominated killian murphy for best performance and we had three different supporting actors for best supporting performance and again the, the quality of the performances across the board and we none of us neither of us nominated downey jr so Again, just the consistency of the performances across the board is incredible. Again, that's a huge testament to Nolan. Miyazaki, again, beautiful movie, just visually and narratively and thematically, a movie that you can really take a lot of different lessons and stories out of. And again, you can take a, you can stop this movie, take a screenshot at any time, and it's just a beautiful piece of art. And Gorgeous. It, and again, that Gorgeous. goes to the animators as well. But Gorgeous. Just, again, it's a, it's a Miyazaki movie, one of his most. Uh, again, I, like it didn't t- overtake Spirited Away for me. I have a Spirited Away tattoo, but like, it, look, this movie is incredible. I have Takashi Yamazaki. Godzilla minus one people me included have kind of made a big deal about it being 15 uh, this movie having a 15 million dollar budget he's come out and said that it was actually even lower than that granted a lot of that is because of 
just the difference in the cultures and the film industries like vfx workers and people like you know people back end producers in japan get paid a whole hell of a lot less than they do in the united states which kind of keeps these budgets down but still that being said it's not like you know godzilla minus one was working with the monsterverse like budget here it's not like godzilla minus one would have had a 150 million dollar budget had the employees rightfully been paid a, a better wage like it was still a low budget movie and that's why yamazaki approached just the entire picture from a character driven narrative and really makes you connect not only with shikishima but the the woman and the child and the group right the group led by doc and the other uh, boat workers right this this idea to approach and again japan's relationship with godzilla is much different than the american relationship with godzilla and rightfully so right like you it doesn't take in-depth cultural analysis to understand why the relationships are different godzilla means something different to, to each culture toho when they produce these japanese language godzilla movies can they, they have the liberty to approach it from a more creative lens but i think yamazaki did it from one of the more creative lenses one of the more creative perspectives we've seen in recent years and i loved shin godzilla but the gall and the confidence to approach godzilla minus one from this perspective of we're going i'm telling a story about a failed kamikaze pilot with survivor's guilt and you are going to fall in love with him and his friends and the woman that he grows to love and the child with the 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 found family story like i am going to make you hate godzilla i'm going to make you hate whenever godzilla shows up in this godzilla movie just because you don't want anything to happen to these characters that i'm making you love like just what a bold take and he executes it flawlessly and that's why i love that movie also i have rain allen miller for rye lane again i'm giving a, a rye lane shout out I, I think it's a really well done movie this is i believe one of it's either her first or second feature really interestingly shot just interestingly executed and again solid performances across the board spearheaded in my opinion by vivian opara and then i also have yorgos lanthimos poor things again just an incredible movie you've come to expect this much much like out of nolan you've come to expect greatness yorgos lanthimos just great performances across the board it is definitively very much a yorgos lanthimos movie it's got that strange quirkiness and this is it's not the most lanthimos film this this one is one of his more approachable ones i do believe that being said it is still strange but i loved it and i think it's a well-directed movie great performances so nick who's winning your best director yeah kyle my best director goes to christopher nolan Yes, he's cocky. Yes, he's brash. Yes, you feel his presence throughout the entire film. But I like that. I think a lot of people do like that. And I don't think, and I think he's easily forgiven because of his talent. I have nothing but good things to say about that film. Like I said, my opinion could be one of his best, if not his best. Just absolutely wonderfully done. Perfectly shot. Perhaps there were some moments where I said, did we really need this? But that comes with the territory of any blockbuster hit. I'm not in a room where I am have a meaningful voice to prevent those things. Kyle, who is getting your best director? Zoner of 2023. It's kind of unintentionally obvious given the lyrical I just waxed, I feel like, but it's it's uh, Takashi Yamazaki. I, I again, Christopher Nolan was incredible. He was my runner up. Again, very much a definitive potentially Nolan film, but just like I said, the gall through which to say 
yes, I am making a Godzilla movie for a very important anniversary for the Godzilla character and like the idea of Godzilla. And I am approaching this through a character driven focus and you are going to fall in love with the characters and that's what he does and the performances are great across the board just the well beautifully shot just emotionally sticks with you i really can't say enough great things about godzilla minus one and i i hope see i don't want a sequel it's one of those things that like i hope they give him another godzilla movie i don't want it to be a sequel I don't want anything else bad to happen to Shikishima. And how that movie ends, I don't want to give spoilers, but, like, dude, dude's got further heartbreak ahead. Like, I do not want to see him go through that anymore. I've seen enough. This dude's lived a life of tragedy. I want uh, Yamazaki to direct, hopefully, another Godzilla, uh, Godzilla movie, and I'd love to see how he approaches it again he said he wants to direct a star wars movie do that come on lucasfilm we don't need the favreau mandalorian movie give me a character driven takashi yamazaki movie completely agree i don't need a godzilla sequel i, I might want it but i don't need it no absolutely like, not it it hit it hit me hard enough it like the ending was purposefully left ambiguous i mean obviously it's godzilla minus one so there has to be some setup for the future godzilla that exists in that future in 1945. Oh, I'm not even talking. So. We're okay. So here's your spoiler warning. I'm not even talking about Godzilla coming back to life or implication that he could come back to life because obviously, like that's how most Godzilla movie ends, regardless of country of origin. I'm talking about. Yeah, he never dies for some reason. Crazy, right? I'm talking about. I forget the character's name. The the woman, right? Uh, the the woman who Shikishima falls in love with. Her having radiation poisoning. So it's like, okay, right. yes, you, you have that momentary relief of, oh, they're going to end up together. They're going to have this family. It's finally something's going right for Shikishima. And then the shot of her neck. And it's like, oh, my God, she's going to die. Like, yes, he got this moment, but she's not long for the world. So he's going to – it's the same issues that are going to present themselves. And it's just so it's, – it's such a good movie. Okay, moving on. Best picture. Nick, who are your nominees here for your zoner best picture? Yeah, so again, I have five who right. that was decided by. I'm not completely sure. The Academy. Um, but the usual suspects. I'm glad that we saved this for last because I feel like I've, I've drained my energy talking about all of these films. So I'll keep it brief. We have The Holdovers. We have Boy and the Heron. We have Wonka. We have Godzilla. Minus one. And we have Oppenheimer. I don't think that this list is at all controversial. And I think yours is very similar. Right. So, Kyle. This is for the Kyle Zoner best picture. Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Godzilla Minus One, Wonka, and The Boy and the Heron. Nick, if you just want to... Yeah, anything else you want to say about any of these movies plus your winner? I think I'd encourage anyone listening, if you made it this far, God bless you. Thank you. If you believe in that. Or if you sneeze. I mean, these these are the quintessential films movies of 2023 that i'm going back to this these are these are movies to spend the day with I, I there's nothing else i can really say about these films besides they're wonderful would recommend and there's no true winner except for the holdovers okay uh the holdovers wins best picture for me again it made me laugh it made me cry it was the perfect holiday film as well recommend watching in wintertime cozy it up with some hot beverage watch it with your family perhaps watch it with your children i'm not sure 
there's some parts that are a little raunchy for children, but overall it's, it's human. It's, it's a great film and, and the acting is superb um, combined with the, the cinematography and the shots of new England in the quote unquote seventies. I mean, it's just, it's, it's wonderfully done and you, and you need to see it yourself. So this is a movie I, I, need I, I recommend it. to you. Unlike poor things, this is right. a movie I absolutely recommend to you that you need to see. Congratulations. The holdovers. They'll get we your finally made it to mail. best picture. Yes. In the mail. <laughs> usps so for my best picture i nominated wonka this is the first time i've ever talked or i've talked about wonka on the show didn't expect it but it was really good the songs were great timothy chalamet had the unexpected whimsy that i kind of feared he wouldn't have as paula you know paula trades i'm not expecting willy wonka but boy did i get willy wonka i loved it boy and the heron also loved it but that being said it was very much a three-way race for my best picture between oppenheimer poor things and godzilla minus one and i gotta give it to oppenheimer again just to have a three-hour-long movie in which I am enthralled from start to finish and just some scenes in that movie, right, where it's just like the bomb-testing scene and the Emily Blunt scene, the interrogation, just there are so many points in that movie, in that three-hour movie that you can definitively remember, and the performances are so strong across the board to me that that's just the hallmarks of a great film, and I think that ultimately we will look back on this year and say that Oppenheimer is the best movie of this year. Still, I have not seen the holdovers. That's true. No, that's true. It 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 it's that's fair. Not true. It's fair. Thank you. Sorry. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I think that wraps up. Uh, does that wrap it up? Does that wrap up the zoners and uh, this inaugural episode of the podcast? I think that wraps up our inaugural zoner awards. Yes, I'm. Uh, I'm ready to to what? head out if you're ready. <laughs> Yeah, this was exhausting. It was exhausting. I, I currently have pain in like my appendal region, like where the appendix is. I'm thinking. Oh, that, it's probably bursting. You should probably go to the yeah, hospital. Yeah, it's been it's been slowly bursting for a couple of you know. Like, That's not how it works. Yeah, no. At like the 120 mark, I started getting this pain. So I've I've been troopering. I, I've been a trooper through this thing. Yeah, maybe you need some water. Yeah, no. I uh, boy, I I be drinking water with those nanoplastics. Uh, I I read a I heard about a study that the nanoplastics are in the water and it's not good. Thank you guys for listening to this heavily edited uh, podcast. It took us 200 or not 200, two hours and 50 minutes to record it. I wonder how long it will ultimately. But again, thank you for watching. Make sure to follow Media Zone on Twitter at Zone for Media and please subscribe to the Substack. We put out reviews, analysis, all that good stuff about media that we like and uh, you know we're not going to waste your time with things that we're not passionate about we only really talk about things that we care about we're not doing this for clicks or whatever we're doing this because we want to so uh nick anything to add creative passion uh no but a lot of fun see you next week awesome thank you guys for watching and like nick said see you next week bye bye